to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys good? My name is Leslie Garcia. I am the operations pastor here at Humanity Church. Welcome this morning. If you're watching online, welcome to you guys too. We're glad you're here with us. I'm super excited about this new series, Things You Don't Talk About at the Dinner Table. Um, During the next few weeks, we're going to cover a lot of things that maybe are controversial. They might be the kind of things that ruffle feathers, things we were told growing up we shouldn't talk about in mixed company, so things like sex, money, and politics. Um, I'm going to ask you a request. I have a request, though. If you're, if you're here this morning or even over the whole series, um, this, these topics can bring up some emotions or some questions that might be uncomfortable. And so my request is, is that you stick with us throughout the series and that you, um, if you have questions, we'll be available to answer those, but, but that you'd stay in it with us. Can you do that for me? Okay. All right. So if you're ready, I'm going to jump off and we're going to talk about money today. We're saving sex for another day. So just wait. Anyway, um, it's interesting how much Jesus talks about money in the scriptures. He talks about money more than faith and prayer combined, which I think is a little odd because I think maybe Jesus should be like, this is how you have faith. This is how you pray. But he's like, I think money is going to be a bigger obstacle. And so he talks about money um, much more than those things. But, and if you were to read through the New Testament in the Bible, you would see that Jesus teaches in parables, which is really just another way of saying that he tells stories. And of the 40 parables that he tells in the New, script, in the new, the new Scripture, the New Testament, 11 of them are about money. So that's, you know, I mean, almost half, right? Well, I don't, I don't do math. Maybe it's a third. I have no idea. A fourth, who knows? Anyway, um, For example, there's two parables that compare the kingdom of heaven to riches, implying that the kingdom of heaven is tremendously valuable. There's another parable um, that Nathan talked about a few weeks back when he talked about generosity. It's the parable of the talents, where the master gives talents to his servants, and, and he's trying to show them how important it is to invest and produce what you've been given, to use the things you've been given. There's another parable of a a rich man who, interestingly enough, um, Jesus doesn't even bother to tell us that guy's name. But there's also a poor man in the story named Lazarus. And this story shows us this eternal reversal that happens where um, he's showing us that the people who are the most comfortable on earth will be bringing up the rear in heaven. So he's trying to make a point there. But why do you think that Jesus cares about our finances? Why do you think he thought it was necessary to talk about money so much more than so many other things he could have talked about? I think one reason is because money tells the truth. 
One of the troubling characteristics about humanity is um, our tendency to compartmentalize what we believe from what we do. Often we say we believe one thing, but then our actions tell a different story, right? Here's a few statistics for you. Um, Many of us in the room would say that we're followers of Jesus, and we might say that um, arranging our life around that is valuable to us, and we, we think it's important. But the number one financial goal of people who call themselves followers of Jesus is um, to provide for my family. And the second most important goal is to support the lifestyle I want. So let's just be honest, and that usually means take the vacations I want, live in the house I want, have my kids in the schools I want, the activities I want, drive the car I want. That's what it usually means, right? And I would say whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you're an American, you probably resonate with those goals because they are pretty American goals. Um, They're pretty universal to all of us. Way down the list at number six of things that are important to us is to serve God with money. So even though we say that we submit our lives to God and we believe that God is the most important thing, when our finances are concerned, it's the sixth most important thing. So that's just interesting to notice. Um, And would it surprise you to know that 80% of us are in debt? So we're meeting all these goals of living the lifestyle we want and providing for our our families by trading our financial freedom for them. We are sacrificing freedom for stuff. That's what we're up to. So it's not uncommon for humanity to, um, at times, to profess one thing, that we believe one thing, and then do another thing. Um, And it doesn't just happen in our finances. It's just very easy to see in our finances. Um, Jesus addresses this disconnect in in Matthew 15, 8. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So, yeah. Throughout the Gospels, he does use money to reveal um, our true priorities, and if you think about it, our bank statement really does tell a lot. And I, I would ask you, if you were to open your bank app right now, no. <laughs> what, would it, what would that data say that you value most? Would it say that you value eating out? Some of us love a good cheeseburger. Would it say you value your kids' activities? Or maybe it would say that you love a good vacation. Maybe it would say that you value gaining wealth. Um, Maybe it would say you value amusement parks, um, clothes, toys, education, entertainment. Or would it say that you're just trying to keep your head above water? Maybe it would say that you're so strapped trying to live the lifestyle you want that you can't even think about anything else. There was a time my bank account did say that, by the way. (laughs) Um, Jesus gives a very well-known story in the Gospels called the Sermon on the Mount. And within that story, he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And where, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus, is, the point he's trying to make is that if we truly believed that life was eternal, if we really believed that, we wouldn't have the 
inclination to invest all of our time and our talents and our personal resources into gaining possessions and entertainment that, that we know is going to surely perish, right? We would invest in things that were eternal. We would spend our time and our money on that. We would be inclined to build relationships that are eternal, structures that are eternal. And Jesus even warns us that money can become a rival God. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The hard truth that Jesus um, is trying to make here is that the God money invites us to worship is ourselves. As we indulge and invest in our own comforts, and our pleasures, we're worshiping ourselves whether we want to acknowledge that or not. We're worshiping a lifestyle. That's what we're worshiping. If, you, if, you, um, if you're honest with yourself, and I don't know if you're up for that, <laughs> but we've all experienced that, right? Where we find ourselves negotiating between maybe what God's calling us to and what we want, what our own comfort, desires, pleasures. Like, we're like, well, God said this, but mm, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm very guilty of that. And I could probably tell you a lot of stories about how I'm guilty of, of that, but I'm just going to tell you one, because when I leave, I want to have just an ounce of street cred. So um, back a few years ago, my husband and I were invited to lead a trip to Thailand. And uh, that trip cost $1,800 a person, so it was going to cost us $3,600. Um, and my very first thought when um, Nathan's like, hey, how about you guys leave this trip, was like, do I want to spend my money to go to Thailand, my $3,600? Um, so I don't, don't want to kid you or myself. The question I was asking myself is, is going to another country to work with an organization that frees people from human trafficking worth it to me to spend $3,600 of my money? That's the question I was asking. God's like, you should go. And I was like, well, let me check Bank of America. <laughs> but even when I say that out loud, I feel like the obvious answer should have been yes, right? I should have been like, yes. But I was like, mm. um, so I, I work like literally Nathan and Maya's desk look at each other. So I'm sharing this with him and Nathan, oh, I, he's like, no, Leslie, you're not spending your own money. You need to fundraise. And I'm like, oh, dude that's worse. That literally makes me more uncomfortable than writing a check. Because I'll tell you why. I'm a grown-up, right? And I'm like, I'm a grown-up, and I should pay my own way. And you know what I thought? All my friends know I'm a grown-up, and they will think I should pay my own way. And then I thought, they're not going to even care about this. They're not going to care. But Nathan, I, I love him so much. But he goes on, he's like, you should make a video. Oh, dude, seriously? I'm like, are you kidding me? You don't, you don't just want me to like ask some people with a little letter that you're already going to print out and I'm just going to fill my name in? You want me to put it on social media. That's awesome. So um, he's like, you could... Oh geez, that was horrifying. He's like, you could raise so much more money, and the goal is to like raise more money than you actually need so you can support the team and so you can do more things in Thailand than you planned on doing. And I'm thinking to myself, dude is doubling down on me, right, to get me to do this thing that I do not want to do. 
And at that moment, I'll tell you what, I was caught up in my own story. I was caught up in my own insecurity. Um, I was caught up in my own ego. And I hadn't really considered until he said that, that God might be up to something different than I was up to, or that I had ever considered. That he might have something bigger on his mind than I could imagine. I was too caught up to think that he might want other people to participate. That he might want to provide more money than I had access to. Um, Or that he might want to shine a light on human trafficking through this story. Hadn't considered one of those things, because I'm very thoughtful. (laughs) So, of course, reluctantly, I follow Nathan's wisdom, right? And we do the video. We're at his house, and he's like, sit down, sit down. Dude, you're killing me. We do the video. I did curl my hair for it, I'm going to tell you. But anyway, I mean, if you're going to put it on social media. But anyway, so we put this thing on social media, and the money pours in. Shocking, right? Who knew? We raised more than double what we needed personally, just our part, more than double. One of my best friends, um, she saw the video, and she called me, and she's like, I know you, and I know how hard that was for you. (laughs) And she's like, so... My husband and I are going to give you $1,000, and I called my work, and they're going, to double, they're going to match it. So just my one friend gave us $2,000, and um, I'm just going to, this isn't in my notes or anything, but I'm just going to tell you this. Get you some friends that support the thing that God is doing in your life. Get you some friends that go, girl, I see that you are uncomfortable, but I am here for it, because God is here for it. Get you a friend like that, because that's, that, you cannot buy that with money. Um, but all the extra money, it afforded us the opportunity to do so many more things than we had originally planned. Um, one of the, my favorite things that afforded us to do was to buy 10,000 condoms and take them. And I'm going to tell you why that was my favorite thing, because they got delivered to my house in boxes that said Trojan on the side. And, and the UPS guy was very, very confused, but I'm going to tell you that was worth a video. <laughs> so sometimes God does something really great just to, for your sense of humor. Um, the other thing we were able to do is we bought them a motorbike and a sidecar, and we loaded it up with um, stuff to take into the, um, the poorer cities of the, around where they, they are serving to provide first aid and food. And we got to go into the city, um, which, by the way, also they're like, braid your hair so you don't get lice. Awesome. <laughs> which, by the way, you could imagine what I look like with braided hair. It's really horrifying. <laughs> Anyway, um, the other thing is, so also we got to bring so many people along that were following our journey, right? Um, that first trip to Thailand, though, um, it ignited this idea in Brandon and Nicole Farr and Juan and I to start a nonprofit. I got to tell you, not on my mind before I went to Thailand, okay? Um, but we started this nonprofit called Eden that exists to come alongside those kind of organizations and support them. And um, I, if you would have said to me, I bet God is going to call you guys to start a nonprofit, I would have been like, girl, you are crazy. That's never going to happen. But you don't know. You don't know what God is going to call you to. But I'm going to tell you, I came very close to letting my finance dictate what's possible in that situation. And I almost missed out on an experience that changed my perspective in ways that I can't even tell you in a 30-minute talk. And I almost let my ego and my preferences and my money rule over me in that situation. And I'm, if you guys would for a minute, I'd like you to think back on your life. Um, 
Can you see times where you've allowed your bank account to tell you what's possible? Where you've chosen scarcity over abundance because abundance was way too scary to consider. Too risky to press into, too unknown to trust. Where have you chosen your own comfort and pleasure at the expense of faith? Where have you chosen to stay away or to shy away from the thing that God was inviting you into? You're like, mm, thank you. Um, when you've looked at your financial ex- um, circumstances and let it dictate what's possible, are there times that you've consulted your bank account to determine if you were able to put your time and energy into something? When has trusting God and believing your money, what your money was telling you been so terrifying, trusting God instead of believing what your money was telling you, been so terrifying that you couldn't bring yourself to do it? And who's been impacted by that? Who's missed out because you were so afraid to trust something that God was telling you to do over your finances? Or maybe you look at your bank account and you think, it's never going to be different. Like, I can never be free from this. I will never get to a place where this one thing doesn't dictate what's possible for me. Or maybe you think, this is my, my, this is my security. This is going to take care of me all my days. Is it possible that your finances have become your identity? Have you ever conflated the two, either for good or for bad? Letting your personal wealth or your lack thereof determine your worthiness or what you were created to do? For some of us, our wealth is our identity. It's the, we use that number to validate ourselves. The thing that I really want you to know this morning is that God doesn't care. He is not using that number to decide if you're worthy or what you're worthy of. He's not interested in that number, I'll tell you that. Um, But maybe some of us even judge other people on their wealth. We decide if they're good or bad or smart or not so smart based on their wealth. Um, But as you think about this, maybe you think, why is God talking about money so much? I think, look, God cares about your money because he cares about your heart. And your money is an indicator of what's happening in your heart. And he knows that the way you relate to your finances is such a strong indicator of where your heart is, what you trust in, where your faith is, what you believe is possible, and what you believe you can do and what you can be. There's two examples in the Gospels um, that reveal sort of this complicated relationship between faith and finances. The first one's in Luke 19, and I'm just going to read you both these stories, okay? The first one is this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short, and because he was short, he, he couldn't see over the crowd, so he, you guys used to sing this song? So he headed and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, um, to see Jesus because he was passing that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The second story is in Mark 10, um, and it says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, declared the man, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man fell on his face, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Zacchaeus' response to Jesus immediately impacted his pocketbook. He promises to give half of what he has away and then quadruple to the people he's cheated. Um, and this, for him, is going to take creativity. It's going to take trust. It's going to take faith. I mean, I don't, he has to really trust God to accomplish what he has decided he's going to do. Um, in contrast, the young man who comes to Jesus he, to find eternal life, his money has become a barrier between him and God. And Jesus' only request of him was to give it away. He didn't even have to be creative about anything after that. But how many of us this morning, if Jesus asked us that, would fall in the place of the young man? How many of us would walk away sad today if we were asked to give away our riches? How many of us would let money or the lifestyle I want get in the way and stand between us and the freedom um, that God is inviting us into. I, I want you to notice in these stories, though, that, um, that Jesus deeply loved each man. He didn't, he loved them both so deeply. Um, his desire for both of them was freedom. And he let them choose. But their choice didn't change his love for them. He loved them regardless of the choice. And here's the thing, you guys. He lets us choose too. And he loves each of us regardless of the choice. He is giving us an invitation into freedom. And he's just asking us to choose. And I, I think he's asking us, choose me. But he's letting us choose. But the love does, isn't connected to the choice. So I want you to really understand that this morning. God wants to get a hold of this area of your life because he wants to transform it. He wants your heart and your trust and your faith and your future to be dependent on him. That's what he desires for you. So that you're able to live a life that is fully informed by what God's capable of and not by what you can manage and create by the little bit or the big bit that you can muster together. Um, before Easter, we finished a series on David. And Melinda spoke at the very beginning of it about how all of us have a calling on our, on our lives. And um, not some of us, all of us. That each and every one of us was created to do something that is uniquely specific to us. Something significant that only you can do. And when Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, he's telling you that your treasure is that calling on your life. That's the thing. 
he wants you to invest in. That's your treasure. That's the thing only you can give. Jesus wants you to believe that when you invest your heart and your faith and your life and even your money into that thing, that's where life begins. That's where freedom is found. That's the thing. And when you live a life informed by your finances, your personal ability to accumulate wealth, when you spend your life trying to amass as much money and wealth and stuff and affluence as you can, you are actually slowly dying. Maybe you're dying in a really great house, surrounded by a lot of really awesome stuff. And maybe you're dying on vacation. I don't know. But you're dying all the same. And Jesus is inviting you into freedom and abundant life. That's what he's asking you to join him in. And you guys, I totally get that you want to provide for your family. I get it. I do too. I know that that desire is within us. But I know a lot of you are killing yourselves. Investing your time and your money to create the lifestyle you want. I want you to consider if that lifestyle that you're working so hard to create is the same lifestyle that God is inviting you into. Is it the wonderful, bountiful, eternal life that Jesus offers? I think the question for us this morning is, um, what is the treasure that God has put on our hearts? The thing he wants you to invest in. So I'd like you to consider that it's much more expansive than your money can buy. What is that unique treasure that God has placed within you um, that calls you to the greatest freedom possible? Why is God calling you into that thing? Why does it matter to the world, to the people in your life? And who's impacted? Who will be impacted by that thing? Um, If you guys are up for it, I hope you are. We're going to do it anyway. Um, I'd like to take a couple minutes right now to ask God. Because I don't know the answer to that question for you, and maybe you don't either. So um, I find it's easier for me to focus on God when my eyes are closed, so I invite you to close your eyes. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. But um, I want you to close your eyes and ask God these questions. I'm an, and I'm going to give you some silence after that. What is the thing, the treasure God, that you are calling me into right now? Who will be impacted by this thing that you're laying on me, on my heart? What freedom will be created through this thing that you've given me? Ask God if he would reveal that to you. I'm literally just going to give you a couple minutes of silence. Okay, you guys, that thing that God revealed to you, that's the thing. That's the thing he wants you to invest your heart into. That's the thing he wants you to trust him in and surrender to him in. That's the thing that God wants to partner with you in. It's the thing he wants to expand and help you take to new levels. He's inviting you to pursue it. Even if it seems hard, even if it seems like you don't have everything you need, God's up to something bigger in each and every one of you, um, and it's just going to require trust. 
but it's going to require that you talk to God, that you follow his lead. Um, and you know what? It's going to maybe require that you go someplace you're afraid to go. And it might require that you take people with you. It might require that you tell some folks. And I'm going to tell you, if it requires money, don't worry about it. Because God has a way of coming up with some funds. Can I pray for you guys before we go? All right. God, I just thank you so much that you're always inviting us into new ventures. That you call and prepare us for the amazing things that you've designed for us. I pray for each of us that you help us to see where you're leading us and what you're calling us into. And that you give us the courage to follow in faith. I pray for each of us that we don't see the human imposed limitations, but instead we see the God-ordained possibilities. I ask that we would be brave enough to not only rely on our own abilities and brilliance, and that we would not decide what is possible by our own perceived limitations, but that we would trust that you will provide for our needs as we faithfully lay down our egos, maybe even our safety, and choose to follow where you're leading. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.